Well, this is the lesson that everyone's been waiting for, right? I, I think it's, uh, this is the, where angels fear to tread. Number five in the weeks of what does God say about? Now we've looked at godliness, fear, marriage. Last week we talked about husbands and how many of you are your whips are still sore? From, are you listening? Are you listening? Well, this week is about wives. What does God say about the role and benefits and blessings of the women in our lives, the wives? Well, Ephesians, the one, the verse we always know, Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their wives in everything. Let's pray. Because that's all there is to say. (laughs) The Bible says you can't add to, you can't take from. What else can I say? So I guess we should all stand and pray and go home. But no, actually Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And all the guys said, amen. So in reality, we're gonna talk about the wives in our life, but all the things we talk about today are basically predicated on what we talked about last week. Because if week one doesn't work, then week two doesn't work. So we're gonna look at that, the roles and duties of the husband. As we have talked about them last week, those things complement and fulfill what the women are asked to do. Now, if you remember back in Genesis, we saw that God said it's not good for man to be alone. God will provide him a helper, and that helper signifies partnership. Two folks working together for the good of the whole. Each of them doing things that the others can't do. If we were exactly the same, one of us would be redundant, right? If we did exactly everything exactly the same way, one of us wouldn't be needed. In fact, 1 Corinthians talks about the, the church using the body as the example. You know, we're, not, we're all not an eye, we're all not an ear or a foot. Everyone has its distinct characteristics, attributes, idiosyncrasies, and God calls them together to work together to complement, to make one whole. So let's, what, let's look at what God really says about the wives. And I know a lot of you guys are dragging your wives here today. Look, we were, we were at the husband part last week, so now the wives gotta hear it today. So, again, this is all predicated on what we talked about last week. If we do our part, the wives will want to do theirs. If we, if we don't love and protect and honor them, it'll be harder for the wives to do what God asked them to do. So, what does God say? Well, the first thing that God says is we, the wives should be a helper to their husband. Again, back at Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the word helper in this sentence, whenever the same word is used throughout the Bible, it is in reference to God helping mankind. The same verb is used. So when God gave us a helper, God was basically giving himself to us as that helper. One commentary says it this way. 
It signifies that women have been given a tremendous power for good in their husbands' lives. So wives, you are God's helper to husbands. And so basically, if we husbands are to be what God wants us to be, you wives have significant power to make us accomplish that. You're praying for your husband? Help him to be what God wants him to be. And all that, go back one sentence. How do we do that? Or how do you do that for the guys? Your words of encouragement, your words of challenge, your words of you can do it. Your attitude of you can do it. All those things help God make us to who we need to be. And, all that, and that is how God works with us. God gives us wives to encourage us the way that he encourages people. Now, we've all heard the phrase, happy wife, happy life, right? Now, there's no, there's no husband phrase to that, right? There's no happy husband. Nothing rhymes with husband, so. But you know that phrase is almost scriptural. Proverbs 21.9 says, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Proverbs 21.19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome or ill-tempered wife. Proverbs 27.15, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. So, there is truth to the adage that the wives set the temperament of the home. That's true. Mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Why? Because it spills over into the family. So as you help your husbands, your word of encouragement and challenge and all those things to build him up, make everything work. Now after you help your husband, now you need to respect your husband, point two. And when Paul gets done talking about that in Ephesians, the verse, we, the verse we just read, he ends this chapter with this verse. 533, it says, however, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, it's, you ever read that and think, well, why doesn't God say they both should love each other or they both should respect each other? What is it? take two different verbs. Why is he challenging two different things here? Focus on the family tells us that men define love differently than their wives and that women often don't know how to define or show the respect. I didn't say that. Focus on the family said that. You can love someone but not respect them. How many of you know that's true? How often do we hear of a woman returning to an abusive relationship and what does she say? I love him. But I'm guessing that she may love him but she may not respect him. Parents, you may love your kids but not necessarily respect who they become as adults. I mean, that's true. When God asks if she respects him, and in an abusive situation, most often she'll say no. But when God tells us specifically to do something, it usually means that it does not come naturally to us. We have to be told to do it. It's a hard thing for us to do. When husbands are told to love their wives, it's implied two things, that the wives need us to love them, and it's difficult for us to do. If God's telling us to do it, 
it must not come naturally. It's something that God is saying, okay, listen up, you need to do this because you don't normally do it out of the goodness of your heart. You need to challenge yourself to do it. And it says the same thing about the wives. Now, husbands define usually love by doing. If I do something, I'm showing my love. I'm taking the garbage out, I'm you know, keeping the car up, all those things. If I'm doing that, that's, my, that's how I love, that's by doing stuff. Wives need the other type of love. And when wives are told to respect their husbands, the same thing is implied. Guys need the respect, and it's not natural for women to do that. Both of those things don't come naturally. We have to work on them. Wives might reach out in love, but the guy, the husband, needs the respect. If you listen, how many of you listen to Family Life today? Dennis Rainey, he's on the radio. He's been around for a while. This is what his wife said that men need most. The first thing they need, and this is in the order that she says we need them, self-confidence as a man. Men need to be thought of as being competent and they need to have the assurance in themselves that they are confident. And if someone is always telling you negative things and bringing you down, you lose your self-confidence. And she says that's the number one thing men need. The second thing she says is to be listened to. I'll just let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> Listen to. John Maxwell says this, if you want to make your mom happy, talk to her. If you want to make your dad happy, listen to him. Right? How many of you dads with older kids, you try to tell your kids something and they either listen or they don't listen. You want them to listen and comprehend and do and benefit from that. The number three things that she says is companionship. Again, going back, it's not good for us to be alone. We need someone to be with us, to be our companion, to be our equal. And the number four thing she says is to be needed. How many of you guys need to be needed? We need to have someone need us. Note that love is not on that list because to men, these things are the same as love. If you love me, you'll give me confidence in myself. If you love me, you'll listen to me. If you love me, you'll do things with me as a companion. And most of all, if you love me, you will need me. Men need to be needed. When I was, uh, you know, I'm a certain age now. And uh, when my dad was still alive, even though I'm of a certain age now, he would always call me and, and offer A, his assistance, and B, tell me things that I needed to know because he needed to be needed. And my brothers would call, have him come over. He's a, a fix-it guy. He would always, we never had to call anybody in the house. He always, whatever it was, he fixed it. We, he put a furnace in our house. He's not, an, he's not a furnace guy, but he put a furnace in our house. So anything he, we did in our house, he did so my brothers would have him come over to their house and have him start doing stuff in their house because he needed to be needed. He needed to be thought of as still useful and still working. And when men need to have that same thing in their lives that they are useful and needed. 
as your kids get older and you realize that they don't need you anymore, they kind of like, they don't need me anymore. And as much as we try, we keep offering them our our wisdom and our our abilities, but it comes to a point where, and I, I think this is true, that kids will eventually know more than you. And they'll tell you that they know more than you. And they don't need you anymore. They don't need your advice because they're already there. Number three things that, that wives need to do is to love your husband. Talking about the role of the older women in the church, Paul says this in Titus 2.4. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Now, you would think that's not something that needs to be taught, right? That it should come naturally. But if Paul is telling the older women, you need to do this, you need to take time and learn how to do this, how to love your husbands and, and, your, and your children. Now, the reason could be because the word here means unconditional acceptance. That you accept your husbands as they are. Imperfect, not not what you think they should be. How many of you wives thought you could transform your husbands when you got married? Now, younger women think they can do that. But the longer you're married, the more you realize, man, it ain't happening, right? When he's saying here, train them to love their husbands, that means train to love them as they are. Now, you can try to make them better, but what they're saying is, you accept them and you love them even if they can't become what you envision them to be. If you have these grandiose plans of what your, what your husband's gonna be and you're gonna do everything to get him there and suppose, and more likely, it's not gonna happen. He's not gonna radically transform who he is unless God transforms him. They're saying, love him anyway. Love them unconditionally, even if he can't be what you want them to be. It also means that God accepts them the way that he made them, and the wives should do the same. Now, there's a, there's a movement today about masculinity. How many have followed that at all? And there, there's this phrase out called toxic masculinity. How many have heard that phrase? And what, what that they're trying to do, and this is all the, the, it stemmed from the Me Too movement and, on, and the women who were actually abused, and now they're, they're spreading everywhere. And what they're basically saying is, when men act like men, it's wrong. They call it toxic masculinity. Now, now we're gonna get into this in, an, in a week or so, when we actually get down to the intimacy part of, of marriage. But the problem is, when you start stripping away who men actually are, you leave them with women because God made us the way he made us. There's a, there's a, a quote I got from a, a Christian author, a Christian wife. She says this, talking about loving men the way they are. It says, love also means being committed to a mutually fulfilling, intimate relationship. She says, I realize there is a whole lot more to love than intimacy but we are looking at how God, to fulfill God's command to love our husbands. Therefore, we must look at love from their perspective, not our own. When women discount how men feel, 
they're not showing and they're not accepting the fact that that's how God made them. There's a stat that says, I, I Googled this, it says it's not true, but it says that men think about sex every seven seconds. Now they have no data to back that up and most of the articles I said that's, that's a fallacy, but the, the premise is there. It's constant. Not in a perverse way, but in a normal way. And what Paul's saying is that's how God made them. And we are to love them the way God made them. It doesn't mean we don't tweak them and make them a little bit better, but you're not gonna change that in, in people's lives. Number four is, and this is the big one. This is the one everyone's waiting for, right? Submit to their leadership. Now I know this verse tends to ruffle some feathers and, and we just kind of gloss over that you know, when we read it in the Bible and I know a lot of you guys are bringing your wives here, you know, this is it, listen to this. So the verse we said before, Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, the word submit, it's like, yeah. It gets everyone kind of on edge of their seat, right? Now, granted the word submit and that application has been misused and misapplied in Christian circles. How many get that, right? It doesn't mean, it doesn't make what God wants to say irrelevant, it just people have abused it over the years. So here's what it is not saying. It is not saying that we take away your identity, we take away your ideas and your thoughts and your plans, we don't take away your value or your worth. It is also not blind obedience. It's also not barefoot pregnant and chained to the stove. (laughs) And it doesn't mean, and especially doesn't mean, that we tolerate abusive situations. I actually read some articles from people I, I thought I admired that, that said that women should stay in abusive situations based on that verse. And I, I, I don't believe God's into that. Genesis 2.18, back our verses again. It's not good for man to be alone. And I put in here because he'll probably mess things up. Because of that, I'll make a suitable helper for him. And that goes all back to the beginning. If we husbands are loving our wives the way Christ loved the church and sacrificed ourselves for her, even though we do that imperfectly, we, don't, we're not, we aren't Jesus. And everything we do is not perfect. And everything we do, a lot of times, we will mess it up. But if we do our best to love her as Christ loved the church, then our wives will willingly want to do what God has asked them to do. Coerced submission is not submission. God has always been a God of free will, right? God wants us to love him for him. God doesn't make you do anything. He He will do everything he can to show you how much he loves you and how much he appreciates you and how much he wants a relationship with you but you have the free will to choose that or not. If you walk out and you don't accept Christ, God's not gonna chase you. God gives the opportunity, but he wants you to choose. And I believe that's the same thing that God wants for husbands and wives. 
not a coerced uh, submission, but one that you willingly want to do. You have free will. God wants you to do it of your free will, not because your husband's making you do it. Not because you are coerced into doing it, or someone's going to beat you over the head with the Bible verse that says to do that. Now, I like the word follow better than submit, because I think that it, it's better than submit. But it's a, it's a catch-22. For us to lead the family, you have to follow. If you're not following, then we're not leading. John Maxwell says, if you think you're leading and no one's following, you're just taking a walk. For us as husbands, if we love and protect like we're commanded, it's easy for our wives to want to follow. If they follow, then we can lead. And we can't lead if they don't want to follow, and it's not a true leadership if we make them follow. When we do our part as unto the Lord, we are entrusting to him the outcome. Since husbands aren't perfect, we make mistakes. We lead the wrong way at times and make wrong decisions, but I still believe if we follow this model, God still honors that. What do I mean? Let me give you an example. I use this on Wednesday night. Suppose I want to buy a car, and my wife says, no, you're not buying a car. We don't need a car. And we go back and forth, and now this is assuming we both pray about this, and we both get, we try to get what God wants more than what our emotions want at the time. And it comes down to the fact, you know, I still want to get, I think it's a good decision we should buy the car, and she still thinks it's not a good decision to buy the car. At that point, she will say, you lead, you go ahead and buy the car. And so, I buy the car. And suppose that buying the car was a huge mistake. That she was right. Two things happen in that instance. First, you, you realize that maybe I should listen to my wife a little bit more. And the second thing you realize is that God still honors that decision. That you made the choice, you did what God, the pattern that God sent, you still honored it, and maybe next time I will be a little bit wiser about looking at the finances and all the stuff that we have going on. So that it gives us wisdom, it gives us maturity. So the next time these decisions come up, we will become more like-minded. And I think as time goes on, how many have heard the, the expression that husbands and wives begin to look and act like each other? Why is that? Because now you're operating as one unit and your individuality is still there but it's merged together with your, with your husband and your wife and now you begin to think alike, you begin to do things alike, maybe even dress alike. God gave us a pattern of success. And I believe that every married person here wants God's blessing on their marriage. Is that a good assessment? Hopefully, when we go through these things and we make these decisions, not only will we grow and mature, our family will, our kids will grow, our parents may see it, people around us may see God's blessing as we're obedient to him. Now, the world doesn't like it. The world wants to change that. 
And even way back when, was it Gloria Steinem said that a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle? How many remember that quote from decades ago? The world wants to separate them, saying that you don't need each other. And especially saying that the women don't need the men. And they can do everything by themselves. They can have families by themselves. They don't need the guy. The reason that God has a pattern is because that's God's pattern for success. Now, as Rocky Balboa said, the great theologian, it doesn't mean marriages are all rainbows and sunshine. All you women are laughing. What are you? But it does mean that if you are committed to God's pattern and you follow God's lead, over time you will be better equipped to handle all the bumps in the road that come your way. If you're constantly at odds with each other, never agreeing on anything, and always having strife, when these bumps and issues come up, it's just gonna magnify that issue and you're never gonna solve it as well. If you can't make a decision on small things, when hard times come up, it's gonna be very difficult to make those decisions and be in tune with each other. Every time you follow God's order, you'll be better and more in tune with each other. And that means even if you don't feel like it. We talked about this in in the youth this morning. That it goes beyond what you feel, what your emotions are. And I've used this example probably numerous times about flying a plane. A lot of times our our emotions will dictate what we do and we feel like this and we love and have all these emotions going on that dictate some of the decisions we make. Rather than, look, than looking at what God's word says, ignoring how we feel about it and making the choice based on God's word. And I use the analogy of flying because it's, it's very indicative of how that is. When you learn to fly a little plane, you look at what you see. And you can see and you can fly. It's like driving a car. You see and that's how you fly. When you get to be a commercial pilot and you fly the jets, you no longer can go by what you see. You now have to go by what your instrument panel tells you is out there and what your instrument panel tells you you need to do, regardless of what you see. And if you don't go by what the instrument panel says and tells you to do, you're going to crash the plane. And that's how God's word is. Rather than looking at something and getting feelings and emotions about something, we have to go back to what God's word says. And even though it may look fine and, and emotionally it may be a great thing, God's word is the instrument panel. And we have to fly by what God's word says because if we don't, we're going to crash. I, I, the example I gave for the kids is, they're starting to drive now. Some of them got their permits and licenses. If you're driving down a highway at 70 miles an hour and you have an exit ramp coming up and it says you know, it's a hairpin turn and it says to slow down to 25, if you're doing 70 and you take off the cruise, you'll go down to 50, 45, 50 miles an hour and you feel like you're crawling. It's just like, oh, I'm going slow enough. I'm going to make this corner. But in reality, you're still going twice as fast as they think you can make that corner. Just because you feel like, well, from 70 to 50, I'm crawling. But you're not. And unless you look at the speedometer and say, whoa, I'm still going too fast, you're going to wreck. Why those examples? Because there's a lot of times 
in, especially in relationships when emotions and feelings are, are there. And we don't discount them. But sometimes we have to look beyond what the emotions say to do and look at what God says to do. And every time, every time, if we do what God says to do, rather than what our emotions dictate. Now sometimes they're in jive, sometimes they're the same, but a lot of times they're not. And when they're not is when we have to sit back, take a breather, and say, what does God's word say about this? And then if we operate under that, you'll succeed. That's the only way to make it. Because marriage is work, right? Ask my wife, it's work. Even when you don't feel like it, following God's order, his pattern will bless you. And you know why he says that? Because when you do that, you will make it to the end. And what's the end? What's your marriage vow? Until death do you part, right? You will make it until one of you is gone. You will make it. My parents made it 50 years or so before my mom died. There are people here that have been married that long. We went to a 50-year anniversary the other night. You will make it that long. And trust me, you're going to have bumps in the road. It's not going to be all rainbows and sunshine. It's going to be tough at times. And if we do it the way God tells us to do it, God says, I'll, make, I'll see to it that you make it to the end. Here's the pattern. You follow that pattern, and you'll make it to the end. It's when we deviate from what God says that hurts us. And for us to be the right leaders, we have to have the wives follow us. I'm not going to use the word submit, because basically it's the same thing. You follow the lead that your husband has, God honors that even if it's not the right decision. What's Romans 8.28 says? For all things work together for good to those that love God. So even if you make a mistake following God's pattern, God still brings that around for good. Amen? Would you stand as we close this morning? I should keep you 20 more minutes. That's what you pay me to do. And if I'm the leader, should all follow, right? Let's see, I'm gonna break for the door in three minutes. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that you have ordained, you have patterned, and you have put together marriage as a, as a function of society and as a function of serving you. And Father, we are thankful that you have given us the spouse you've given us. We are thankful, Lord. Our spouse, as the movie says, it completes us. In reality, it does. Because as two different people come together, we become one person, completed. The Bible says we're two become one flesh. So Father, we are technically one person. We thank you for the roles that you've given each one of us to make sure that union, that, that contract, that joint thing that you've put together, that it works the way you want it to work. 
and you've set up the pattern to make it successful. So Lord, I pray that each person here really gets into your word that you apply what we know to be true in our lives so that we follow your pattern and we, we pray, we seek your face, we seek your will and your wisdom and we lead the way you've called us to lead and our wives follow us in our leadership to help us to become better leaders. When we do that, Lord, we succeed. Our marriages will be blessed, our kids will be will see the fruit of that, that pattern. And they will see that what God says actually works. I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow them to leave encouraged, strengthened by your word, by your will. Father, help us to be what you know we can already be. You're a great God. And it's a pleasure and we're so thankful that we can serve you. Lord, have your way in our lives. Change us, transform us, Lord. And continue to mature us to where you want us to be. We're your servants, Lord. And we want to serve you to the best of our ability. Bless us as we leave today. And allow us to put into practice what your word has already told us to do. And we will see your blessings follow our obedience. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Have a tremendous day today. Wives, you've got notes. Husbands, you've got notes. They're on the website. I think Brad puts them up there. So if you guys need to refer to anything, let me know.